It's time to turn off the lights, grab some popcorn, and watch some horror movies. This is the Terrible Terror Podcast. Each episode I delve into the world of horror movies. Why do I do it? Well, I can't really explain it, but I love these horrifying flicks. If you've made a horror movie on your phone or made your own special effects MacGyver style, please send it my way. Now, what do you get when you mix Ice Cube, J-Lo, John Voight, a bad accent, and giant snakes? Why, you get the film Anaconda. everybody and welcome to another episode of the terrible terror podcast in this episode we have a doozy for you we're looking at the 1997 flick anaconda that's right we're looking at giant snakes this month and uh if it was anything like the last time we have a uh a current forerunner for uh worst accent in movies um i don't know if our next movie will have one but definitely uh i did run a quick poll over the week, last couple days, and so far, Mr. John Voigt is actually winning that poll. But I'm going to leave it up on the Facebook page for the next couple days. You guys can go out there and vote and decide who you think has the worst accent between Tim Curry and John Voigt. So, uh, this this film... Oh, man. Uh, so, my I, this is one of those films that I did not see in the theater. I actually watched with a bunch of friends uh, when I was in college, um, but... I realized how old this movie is and where it dates me uh, in terms of uh, my point in my life. Uh, And this film, I mean, it's over 20 years old now. It's 22 years old. It's fucking ridiculous that it's that old. But, hey, guess what? Um, It's, I wouldn't even say the classic for a reason, but it's definitely on this podcast for a reason. So... It's one of those films where I remember watching it with a really big group of people, and I don't know why we decided to watch it, but everybody's just kind of like, yeah, let's put on Anaconda. Yeah, let's all just kind of watch it. And so we did. And I remember just laughing so hard, even at the time, for some of the CG that was used in this film, as well as some of the practical effects, and there's definitely one that stands out over everything. Now, you know, the film itself, it was only made for about $45 million, and actually that's quite a bit when you think about it, when you, especially when you look at the film, but it made like $146 million. So it definitely was a hit when it came out, and it has spawned a franchise of films, two other theatrical releases, uh, Anaconda, The Search for the Blood Orchid, or whatever the fuck it's called, and then Anaconda's Something Something, and that was like in 2009. And then in 2015, you got the made-for-TV flick, uh, on sci-fi, Anaconda versus Lake Placid, where it was the alligator or crocodile from Lake Placid going against the anacondas from Anaconda. Um, and that is really terrible. <laughs> now, I'm going to say this right away. I'm probably not going to be doing that film on the podcast. I know, I know that might upset some, but I try to stick to like theatrical releases versus things that are, or somebody's independent film that maybe didn't get a theatrical release. 
uh, but not necessarily sci-fi films. It's one of the reasons why I've stayed away from, like, Sharknado, for example. I just, with television films, there's a lot of limitations. They never turn out as well. And a lot of them, especially, like, sci-fi type of movies, they're, like, cheesy to be cheesy. Like, they're never meant to really be taken seriously at all. And I like films like this one where it was definitely meant to be taken seriously, but there's no way in hell I could have even taken this seriously. Now, the big thing, and spoiler right now for the film, is a film that's called Anaconda, they're barely in the fucking movie. Like, there really is nothing really centered around the Anacondas until you get the last, like, what, 40 minutes of the movie? Then all of a sudden, okay, Anacondas are here and Anacondas are doing shit, but for the most point, it's the John Voight fucking show. It's his character, Sarone, or Paul, or whatever the fuck you want to call him. But it's really kind of focused around that group of people until you actually lose a couple characters and then the Anacondas actually show up. Now, I don't normally do this stuff either, but I thought this was very interesting. The film actually got some awards. Uh, it won six awards, had ten nominations uh, for different things. It won the Alma Award uh, for Jennifer Lopez for Outstanding Actress in a Feature Film. Uh, the Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror. It was a nominee for Best Horror Film. It was a nominee as a Saturn Award for Best Actress with Jennifer Lopez. The All Deaf Movie Awards. It was the winner for the Best Black Survivor in a Movie for Ice Cube. Uh, the BMI Film Awards. Uh, music Award winner for Randy Edelman for the music that was in the film. The Blockbuster Entertainment Awards. It was uh, There was a nominee for Favorite Actress for Jennifer Lopez. You had a nominee for the Imogen Award for Best Motion Picture. Uh, for the Razzie Awards, it was the nominee for Worst Picture, nominee for Worst Actor in John Voight, the Worst Actor nominee for Worst Screen Couple of John Voight and the Animatronic Snake. That's my favorite one. And I still just laugh thinking about it. I love the Razzies. The Razzies are fantastic. Maybe this year I should live tweet them when they happen. Um, worst Director nominee, nominee for Worst Screenplay, and uh, the nominee for the Worst New Star. The Stinker's Bad Movie Awards it won the Stinker Award for Most Annoying Fake Accent uh, with John Voight, and the Stinker Award for Worst Supporting Actor with John Voight. And then the World Animation Celebration, it was the winner for Best 3D Character Creature Animation by a Professional. So, and that one's kind of odd, but maybe for the time frame, maybe because of how everything moved, it was really good. I don't know, but I can tell you that that stuff didn't quite hold up. So, it did win a bunch of awards, and I, I know a lot of people that really do like this film. And I'm not going to knock anybody for liking this film, and you'll know my opinion towards the end of it. I'm not saying I don't like it, I'm not saying I like it, um, but we'll go through the whole film, of course, like we always do. So, um... It's just kind of an interesting film. Now, there are plenty of other podcasts that have done episodes on this film, and maybe that's why I waited a little bit before doing this. Of course, one of the most famous ones is How Did This Get Made? They did this a long time ago, um, and they did a really good job uh, going through the podcast. If you have a chance to either find that episode or go into the paywall uh, on their services and listen to it, I suggest you do. The podcast is really good. Um, and I love the guys that do it, Paul Shear, June Diane Raphael, and especially Jason Manzukas. Um, but it's one of those things where, of course, it's going to have a lot of listens. Of course, it's going to have a lot of feedback from people because they're famous and I'm not. Well, maybe. I don't know. Maybe I'm famous to you. Maybe not. Maybe you don't give a shit. 
I don't give a shit either. But you're listening, so thank you. Uh, but <laughs> nonetheless, um, you know, just a shorter intro this week uh, to the film. And uh, let's just go ahead and start diving right into the film. So the clips here, this is actually the least amount I've used in a very long time. So it's probably going to go relatively quickly, at least in, in my mind. Um, but there's definitely a lot to say about this film. Now, one of the surprising things is the way the film actually opens up. It opens up onto the Amazon jungle. Now, I don't know exactly where this is at. Uh, this could be in Brazil. This could be in Peru. This could be in Chile. This could be, but it's definitely South America, nondescript Amazon. And so you've got this guy and he's panicking. And who happens to be this guy? That sounds awkward, but this guy happens to be Danny Trejo, looking really fucking tiny. Like, I didn't even recognize him right away, and the only reason I recognized him, one was because of the face, because he's got a lot of scars on his face, and you kind of can make that out. Two, because I saw his name in the credits, and I was like, holy shit, Danny Trejo's in this? I don't remember who the fuck he was. Turns out, he's a random poacher that dies in the beginning of the film when the anaconda takes him out. Now, this is where I was kind of like, I remember seeing it and I was kind of like, okay, so it's going to be, you know, like, truly a horror movie focused around the anacondas, like, you know, chasing them down and taking them out and doing these types of things. Not that I was going to watch people on a fucking river for the next 40 fucking minutes. This is like Jason takes fucking Manhattan, okay? Jason doesn't really start killing people in about 30 minutes into that movie. And I gotta, he doesn't even get into fucking Manhattan until the good, like, last act of the goddamn movie. Everything is on the goddamn boat for the whole time. And this is the way I felt with fucking anacondas. I came to the, well, I guess in this cage, I came to the couch to watch this fucking movie and to see fucking anacondas tear shit up, not to wait forever. And luckily, right in the beginning of the film, we do, but it's one of those, like, hidden anacondas. They're, like, in the water. They're breaking things apart. They're really trying to go after him. And why are they so aggressive? Like, it doesn't really make sense, especially the way everything ends up towards the end of the film. There is something that they talk about some point in the middle of the film. Mr. Voigt, with his wonderful accent, uh, says some stuff about it, about them and the tribe that's local in terms of the way the anacondas work. But... I don't know, like, here it really feels like they're out to get humans. And there is a giant thing in the beginning of the film um, I should actually go through with you guys now that I'm thinking about it. But they basically open up the film with a little bit of text and dialogue here. And it says, Tales of monstrous man-eating anacondas have been recounted for centuries by tribespeople of the Amazon Basin, some of who are said to worship these giant snakes. Anacondas are among the most ferocious and enormous creatures on Earth, growing in certain cases as long as 40 feet. Unique among snakes, they are not satisfied after eating a victim. They will regurgitate their prey in order to kill and eat again. And then the movie starts with Danny Trejo getting chased by a snake and ultimately shooting himself in the head and that's it. That's the last you see of him. But again, this says nothing about the snake. Like, it's chasing him down, I guess, as prey. Like, they've noticed Danny Trejo and he's like, Hey man, we're fucking hungry. We're gonna make sure that we eat you. And we're gonna break some boards to go do it. And, like, you don't know. And you don't really know he's a poacher. I'm just saying that because that's what he's labeled as in the movie. And, of course, as you get to know everything that's going on, yeah, he's one of the many poachers that was there with John Voight. 
So from this little beginning, exciting kind of a scene, we go over and we meet J-Lo for the first time. Now, I say the beginning is kind of exciting because it kind of ends a little anticlimactic. We don't actually see anything. We never really see the snake. We just know, of course, that it's actually happening because of what the film is named and what we've seen in the trailers, right? We see snakes attacking people, so we're here to assume that a snake is chasing him down, but why it's doing it, we never really know, and... It just kind of ends with him shooting himself in the head after he's climbed up the pole. And from there, we go to a more serene scene where we see J-Lo, right? And what's really funny is that there is a split second, and of course, I'm going to notice this right away, because she's sitting there, she's looking at her paperwork, you know. I want to say this is like her second, maybe third film that she's done, because she did White Man Can't Jump. And, of course, she was back in the day, she was a fly girl with the living color. And for those who have never seen that show before, you should watch it. It's goddamn funny. Uh, but, really, it's one of those things where I never imagined her actually becoming an actress. And her role in White Man Can't Jump was kind of that, like, bridge. Like, actually to bring her into the mainstream. A lot of people liked her in that role. She didn't do that bad of a job. But it somehow landed her the starring role of this film. And then she went back from this into singing, which I always thought was really weird. Like, she went from being a dancer to getting and doing some decent films like Cell is actually, or The Cell, I guess is what it is, is actually a relatively decent film. Uh, and then all of a sudden going and becoming this music star and like singing all the time. And it was just like... One of those things that kind of happened during the 90s and early 2000s, I guess. So, she's sitting there, she's looking over her paperwork, and then when she stands up, like I said, I notice right away that she's wearing like a wife beater, and of course, she's not wearing a bra because you can see right through the damn wife beater. Yes, I may have rewound it to make sure that, you know, what I saw was real, and then after I confirmed, I may have rewound it a couple more times just to be absolutely positively certain that you can see your areolas through the shirt and maybe a little bit of nipple, but, you know, I didn't try to focus too much on it, but, you know, what what can I say? Um, it's early J-Lo. Uh, but, <laughs> so from, from there, she walks over the door, and that's where we meet, I guess, somebody that used to be her love interest in Kale. Professor Kale, come on in. When did you get in? A couple days ago. I've been out talking to some guides, hoping they might know the whereabouts of our tribe. Any luck? Well, looks like there's sufficient evidence to suspect that these people are out there, can be found and studied. At least that's what I told Grant people. My man seemed to think that the tribe was somewhere around here, between these two tributaries. He'd found one of their markers. Well, that's good. Yep. I think we may have a chance. Well, you get me there, and I'll shoot it. I'm counting on that. That's why I hired you. And I'm glad you did. I really appreciate it. Well, I wanted the best director I could get. I think we'll make a good team. You're a mess. What happened to you? Oh, just a small attack of piranha. Barely escaped with my life. Okay, so the movie's already started, and it's only about five minutes in, and I already hate this Josh Homme-looking motherfucker right now. Like, I cannot stand this character at all. He's fucking just full of himself, and right away, right when he gets into the movie, like, he doesn't take none but five minutes but steal my fucking thunder of trying to fuck J-Lo. Like, I mean, um, 
yeah, you can honestly tell that maybe there was something between them before, but who knows? All we know is that he just comes in, he's just like, yeah, I'm like this hella cool guy, and like, I've totally convinced these guys that we can totally do this film, and you're a young, up-and-coming director, and this, you know, this is gonna make your career, but you know me, and of course, you've been with me before. Like, there's something about it, like, he just wants to jump in her panties already, and we really haven't been, like, introduced to the relationship, how they know each other from before, and we don't really get any more of that, except for there is a, you know, a line in the next scene that <laughs> Ice Cube happens to say, which you'll hear in just a second, but that's the only inkling that we get that these two have actually, like, known each other previously, other than the familiarity that they have with each other, and the fact that she's already looking at him like, oh yeah, I'm totally gonna make sure I get with you, and he's like, I know you totally want me, so this is the way it's gonna work out. Like, it's just so fucking, like, creepy, and, you know, ruins my imagination of my chance with J-Lo in the future. So, uh, we move over to the next day, and this is where we actually get to meet the entire crew that's going to be going on this expedition to find this long-lost tribe to make sure that we get everything filmed. And of course, when we get introduced to Ice Cube, we get reminded that he himself is a rapper. Somebody's up awfully early. Yeah, well, today's a good day. Is that right? Oh, yeah. Not every day my homegirl from SC get to direct her own documentary. You ready? I think so. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations. Thanks. Mateo! Venga. Boy! See, you made this a pleasure, Cruz. Come on, you know me. I don't mix business with pleasure. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, what about if we go up through here? Hmm. This way? Better. If now I cannot be responsible. And chin. Okay, well. It's only 55 kilometers out of the way. Shouldn't be a problem. Better safe than sorry. Hmm? Morning. Morning. Mateo, mm -hmm. you understand me? Sure, I understand. Great. I'm gonna need you to drift through that channel over there. I wanna get some shots. As you say, chefe. For your approval? Thanks. So where's Westridge? I know he checked in. He's probably just catching up on his beauty sleep. Careful! Careful! Bordeaux! Fragile! Expensive wine! Christ! Morning. Morning. How was your flight? Actually, it was a bloody nightmare. Ongoing, I think. One zoom, one oh. You. Stow this in my room, will you? Excuse me? I'm not the bellhop, I'm the production manager. Then surely you can manage my things into my room. Oh, I'm pompous ass. You know, in some cultures, that's a sign of friendship and respect when somebody cares enough to ask you to carry their bags. Respect this, sound man. <laughs> it's not me who said Mr. that. Mr. Westridge, Terry Flores. Terry, this is a pleasure. Professor Kale lent me some of your short films. I thought they were very promising. God, it's well, hot. Are we exactly thanks. on the equator? Welcome aboard, I guess. I think he likes you. Oh, you thought that too? Hmm. Damn, Kale, you look like a little low-budget-ass Jacques Cousteau yeah, well, whatever the hell that means. It's good to see you, man. Chefe, ready for Rio Negro. All right, everybody, double check your gear, make sure it's all on board. Pray you didn't forget your bug spray. 
So now we've introduced the rest of the fodder that's going to be there for the rest of the trip. You can kind of make out already who you kind of think is going to die and who's going to survive. You can make tallies, but it's pretty obvious of the way that everybody was introduced to the film. And yes, that is Mr. Wow himself, Owen Wilson, that's playing a role. Very, very early role for him in his career, at least that I can remember. And I didn't even remember that he was actually in the film as well. Um, and... Like I said, with Ice Cube, like the very first thing that he says is it was a good day. And if you don't know that fucking song, I mean, come on. This is like the height of Ice Cube's career. I mean, he's just been in recently Boys in the Hood, and he's really starting to take off now. Like, this is the start of his acting career. But his music career has been storied and long. And, of course, if you don't recognize the song, they want to make sure right away that you know exactly who Ice Cube is. Because maybe you didn't know by the fact that it's Ice fucking Cube right there in your fucking face on the fucking screen. No, we have to mention one of his songs to make sure that you remember, oh yeah, that's the nice young gentleman that sang that nice song. And, oh my god, he's saying his song name in the dialogue that he's doing. Oh my god, I can't believe it. And then you have the British guy. Like, everything in this fucking movie is a goddamn stereotype. You have the British guy here, and he's like, Oh, I'm stuck up, and I'm a white guy, and I make sure that everybody does what I want, because I've got the expensive wine, and I make sure that, you know, these low-life people that are over here, they all know I'm the one that's much better, and I, oh my god, the heat. Like, it's so fucking stupid and i hate when movies do this shit and just rely on these goddamn stereotypes to get you through so now that everybody's here together they're all gonna start going off into the jungle and mateo does suggest to go a certain way but you know kale here he's like no i think that we should go around this way it's just a little further to get to where i want to go and it's a little bit safer as well so we'll make sure we go that way and then they all head off into the jungle so as they're traveling along, you get some of the worst pieces of dialogue in the film where Owen Wilson's character, Gary, he basically starts talking about how, I don't know what it is about the jungle. It just makes me horny. Like, wow, I can't believe how horny I am. Uh, it's so ridiculous. And of course, you know, the other girl, Denise, that's there, that's like his girlfriend, and I think he's trying to get a rise out of her or something. But it, it's just like, Why? Like, now I expect at some point in the film that these two are going to run off into the jungle or something and try to fuck. But, hey, what the fuck do I know with whatever's going on? So, as they travel along, the rain starts to pour, and that's when they hear something in the d distance, and it happens to be one of the worst accents that have ever been put to film. Yeah. 
we're headed up river. And the next village. I know the people. They helped me fix my boat. I'm sorry if I'd be trouble for you. There's no need to apologize. We're all at the mercy of our machines. You're broke. Mateo! Domino! So after they picked up Mr. Bad Accent over here, they continue on upstream, and there's basically a couple little scenes at night. You get one, of course, where fucking Ice Cube is smoking out while the, you know, the weather has died down. And then there's a scene between Kale and Terry over here, and they start talking and they're looking at fireflies, and basically like, oh... You know, he's like, the fireflies, they blink for each other, and they make sure, you know, that they know, that's when they know that they want to fuck, is when they're trying to attract the other and they blink. And she's like, oh, now is it just male fireflies that do that, or is it both? And he's like, it's both, because they both want a bone. And she's like, oh, I like that. That means they just get straight to fucking boning, and then that's what we should be doing. And he's like... Maybe. And the scene fades. It's not exactly that accurate. You know, I could have pulled the audio, but I felt I could have done both their voices. You never knew that J-Lo was going to be on this podcast today, did you? Um, live, here in person, J-Lo. Hi, guys. Taco-flavored kisses. <laughs> but anyway. So, they, you know, basically, there definitely is something. And she said right away, too, what pisses me off. She's like, I don't mix business with pleasure, but she's missing business with fucking pleasure right there. Like, every chance she gets to flirt with this guy, she does. And every time he gets a chance to look like a smug asshole, to give the best fucking Han Solo, yeah, I know, you're gonna fuck me later, type of face to her, he does. And it just drives me fucking crazy, and that's why I just dislike that fucking character altogether like he knows what exactly he's getting he knows that he brought her along not just so that she could shoot the documentary because maybe terry over here she is one of the best ones that can do this and this is really going to be a breakout chance and he believes in her but also the fact that he knows that he's going to get some when he wants to get some because hey being on a boat with a bunch of dudes in the middle of the Amazon, you got to make sure you have your side piece so that way that it, nothing can really go wrong and it can't really get that boring. So from this lovely little scene that we've got here, we actually cut over into the jungle and we hear rustling and we see a panther. And this is one of the worst possible fucking scenes and one of the most laughable fucking scenes besides every scene with John Voight in it. Um, you see, the panther is just sitting there. Well, it's standing there and it's probably like gotten its prey and it's like looking around and it's like, what? There's something going on. There's noises in the background. What could possibly be happening? Then, oh my god, the anaconda comes out of the middle of nowhere and wraps around the fucking panther, and then it becomes the worst fucking animatronic I think that I've ever fucking seen. <laughs> like, if there was, like, if you've ever seen, like, Toons is the driving cat, okay, this is thing when the cat starts flying over the hill and it looks so fucking cheesy, and the face of the cat's like, Rah! That's the way the fucking panther looks. It just looks so bad. Especially since the anaconda's like wrapped around. It's like, oh no! I've been grabbed by a snake! And it's like squeezing it, squeezing it. And it actually pops its eyeball out and pops it into the like ground of the jungle. And the anaconda has killed his first prey. A fucking panther. Why? 
why why do we need to show like i guess maybe it's like the strength of the anaconda or it's like the power that he has and that he's a great fucking hunter and he can get everything look this panther that was out there normally it's the king of the fucking amazon right here and it's managed to take down this panther in one fell swoop but it just it looks so terrible like I can't even begin to describe it that well. It's just, it wraps around it. It looks like it's awful. You hear like cat noises of it trying to fight back until it no longer can. And then when it pulls the damn thing off screen, you see the eye of the tyke, I mean, the eye of the panther just sitting there. And then it cuts over to the next day. So they continue on into the morning and we see that uh, John Voight's character here, Paul Sereno or Serrano or whatever they want to call it. I want to say Soriano, but that's not definitely not his name. Um, he, he like is out there, he's fishing, he catches one of the fish randomly and then starts chopping it and getting it ready for everybody to eat. And we are introduced to him a little further. Ever work in a sushi bar, mister? Saron. Paul Saron. Where are you from, Mr. Perot? Paraguay. Really? I started out studying for the priesthood. But then I needed to see the real world. So I ended up in the jungle. I seem to fit. Tell me, what does a failed priest do in the jungle? Fail? Who says I fail? I didn't fail. I'm sure you didn't. Well, what is your calling now snakes snakes i catch them for zoos and collectors whatever they want poaching poaching is illegal may i ask what uh what you're hunting we're not hunting or trapping anything we're making a documentary on the shirishama indians the people of the mist that's right you've heard of them I've seen them. Really? You think you could show me where that was? The people saved my life. This I can do. I can show you exactly where I saw the Shirsham. So slurs every other river rat after five whiskeys in any bar in Manaus. Come on, lovey. Five whiskeys? That's breakfast on the river. So, of course, now we've got Sarone over here. He's going to be leading everybody to where these fucking indigenous people are. Because everybody's like, oh, cool, he actually knows where they are. Let's go ahead and use them instead of being like, well, this is really weird. He's on the river at night. His boat doesn't look like it's that fucking beat up. But, hey, we're going to let him on because we'll make sure, you know, it's nice enough. We're gonna make sure the guy doesn't die. And then when he is brought onto the board, I should mention as well, it looks like he looks over Mateo, and it's obvious that he knows him. And it's obvious the film is trying to tell us, hey, something's not right over here, but he really looks fucking like a bad guy. Already looks fucking evil. He has this permanent like scowl on his face. He always has this frown that's going on. And then second of all, they should notice the fake accent. Like, you're really not from Paraguay. Okay. You don't know where I'm doing when I'm going over here. Uh, I know about anacondas, okay? Like, he sounds like me, a bad fucking imitation of Scarface. Like, that's what this is. This is fucking just hip John Voight doing his best fucking Al Pacino. And pretty soon, he's gonna fucking say, uh, you know, say hello to my little friend. 
Like, that's what he's going to do. It's just so bad. And the thing is, is that if it wasn't for the accent, he, it, honestly, the character would be relatively good. The whole thing is that it makes it so laughable, the whole role that he does, because he has this bad accent. Like, honestly, he has some of the best comebacks in the entire film. The character is not written bad, it's just not acted really well, and it definitely has the terrible accent. Like, why couldn't they have just said that, like, you know, okay, well, I came to be a, par a priest in fucking Paraguay, and then I decided to do something else, which happened to be fucking snake poaching, um, and that, you know, I'm just a white guy that's down here. We don't have to do this accent, okay? Like... I need to make sure that I find these anacondas because they're out here. Like, oh, what's going on? Like, it's just... <laughs> I'm even doing a terrible version of his terrible accent, and it becomes fucking addictive. But at the same time, like, it's just... It makes it so much fun because you see what he's going to do. Like, I want to hear what he's going to do next. And in the beginning, it's not bad. But as the film goes on, it just seems to get worse and worse and worse and worse. So they all agree, like I said, to have him take them on this expedition um, and to find these people. Because they want to be able to film everything. And he knows exactly where they're going to be. After they've all had breakfast, they decide to start heading out. And of course, as they're going down the river, we see that the professor, not Kale, but the Winston guy, or whatever the fuck his name, the English asshole there, is trying to work on his golf game as they're going down the river. But of course, somebody's blasting their goddamn rap music so loud that he can't concentrate on his swing. You better stay low before you get a halo. Plus wings in the gown when I come around. So take 10 paces. Hey, hey, hey! Don't touch my radio. I could just kill you for free right now. You and his army. Your mama's. So if you don't catch it right away, when I was listening to, or watching this movie, I should say, uh, you know, and you're listening to the music that's used, I'm like, that's really familiar. Well, you know that that song happens to be an Ice Cube song featuring Mac-10. And for this scene right here, it's Mac-10 that's doing the verse, but it's Ice Cube's fucking music. So he's listening to his own fucking music in this movie as well. It's not just the fact that he's... Uh, there and that we've been reminded that he has a song we were gonna be reminded that he's an artist once again because they're playing his fucking music in the fucking movie and then of course he, ice cube's gotta be fucking hard and when the guy comes over he's just like <laughs> rap music oh you can't be playing that while i'm trying to do my golf you can't uh turn on make sure you turn that off and i can get somebody kill you um and then you yeah well just try it I slit your throat right now. Like, I'm exaggerating here, but it's so fucking 
like it pisses me off that this is the way that it's gonna go but of course then again this is like late 90s early 2000s horror movie dialogue where everything has to be in this like frame of mind that everybody has to be given their specific type of roles and ice cube he's got to be hard-ass rapper ice cube and he can't be scared little whatever ice cube and then you have to have the the, the white guy over here be you know the british pompous asshole and like hates rap music and they can't just be like dude can you just turn that down while we go down the thing but no oh, i've got to be a fucking asshole and play my music as loud as it is and then you can't touch that or i'm gonna slip your throat fucking throat and you know what i'm gonna use your mom's army now if his mom has an army you think that his mom would actually side with ice cube wait you know maybe maybe she might maybe he's a fucking dick he is a pretty big fucking dick in this movie so i'm pretty sure that yeah his mom would side with ice cube and fucking kill her son so <laughs> we continue on from there as they're going down the stream they run across a statue over there in the water and, of course, we get a story of the Anacondas and this indigenous tribe. This totem is Shirishama. Shirishama worshipped giant snakes, anacondas, as gods, protectors. There's a legend they passed down of a journey to a sacred lake. First, you must pass a waterfall protected by warrior snakes. Once you pass those guardians, you travel through the land of the Shirishama, until you come to a wall so high, lights out the Follow sun. that wall for five days, finally reaching its end, the head of a giant anaconda. You know the story? Of course. Beautiful, beautiful legend. I believe, however, it's a legend of the Maku. Also the Shirshama. Not to my knowledge. The war is high now, but the village was right here. You'll find them down this fort. I know. I trap snakes for a living. And I'm sure you're very good at it. I locate tribes for a living, and I'm very good at that. The water level is high, which by my calculations means that the areas to this side will be flooded, which would force our tribe, if they want to eat, to seek out higher ground. It's over here. Patrao! Paquilado, which way? We'll go this way. Westridge. Come on, I want to get a shot of you with the totem. Gary, you're gonna roll sound. Camera rolling. Action. Our first piece of luck, a Shirishama idol, although this is the subject of some dispute. I know what I know. You can accept it or reject it. Leave me at the next village. Cut. With pleasure. What the hell was that all about? Well, you know, your friend and lover is a fucking dick and just totally, like, butting his way through the whole tale that he's trying to tell you. And he's really trying to be, like, at least at this point, he's trying to be informational. And Kale over here is just like, yeah, well, you're fucking wrong. This is what I... See, this is why I think he's a pompous fucking asshole. Because he already thinks that he can get whatever he wants from Terry and that he knows everything that's going on. But, of course, you know... Paul over here, Sarone, or whatever the fuck his name is, um, he has been working on these rivers as a poacher for quite some time. But they don't know that he's a poacher. They just know that he's in this area. And he's seen the tribe, and, and you're like, so like, oh, cool. You can take us to go see these guys. You know exactly where they are. And he's just trying to give you a little local lore of the area. And you're like, 
well, you know, you might be a good snake catcher, but at the same time, I'm very good at finding tribes around this area, so fuck you, I know exactly what's going on. And of course, you know, I'd want to do what he does to him later in the film as well, because, you know, at least listen to the guy, at least hear what he has to say. Don't automatically go, well, you're full of fucking shit, and I don't want to have to hear anything that you really have to say about, so fuck you, I'm gone. And basically, you know, at that point, Cerrone, he just wants to go off on his own little thing, but he does look back to Mateo once again, and is just, like, giving that, like, evil fucking look, like, can you believe this fucker right here? I can't believe he did this, or maybe it's going to be harder than we thought to convince him to go the way that we really want to go. So, from here, we fade over into the night, and we see that Denise and Gary, they want to go off into the, oh, fuck, fucking called it, didn't I? Like, they're going to go off into the jungle. Of course, it's going to be more. Of course, they're going to be fucking horny about everything. You know, the jungle makes jungle makes me horny. <laughs> that's the wrong one. But fuck it, that's Owen Wilson now. Wow, the jungle makes me horny. Wow. It's more of a butthead or a beavis, I guess, than I'm saying right there. <laughs> the jungle makes me horny. <laughs> fucking A. Anyway, so uh, they go off into the jungle because now it's made Denise horny. And they're trying to get the jungle sounds, I guess, the jungle sounds of them fucking. Like, he doesn't even turn off the recording device. He, like, they're out there, wow, do you hear all this stuff? Yeah, it's monkeys and all this other generic fucking shit that you normally don't always hear in the jungle. Even though I've never really been in the Amazon before, but... Hey, I'm pretty sure that, you know, people aren't making noises all fucking night long the entire time that you're there. So, now that she's all getting, you know, hot and heavy and they start making out and do whatever, something comes out from the bushes and begins to chase them. Oh my god, it's another anaconda. And then all of a sudden we see Paul over here, he shows up, he's got his gun and he fires and then the giant noise of the gunfire awakens everybody on the boat and we see him come out of the jungle and what is he carrying? He's carrying a boar, and they almost took down, you know, these two out in the forest, and he was there to shoot the boar and actually save their lives. So everybody's a little happy, and everybody's a little more trusting of Sarone after this experience. We go into the next morning, and when they're traveling down the river some more, and they get uh, about a point where the rope from the boat gets snagged into the propellers. How that happened... I don't really know, and they don't really explain it. It would be nice, and I probably think that this is something that Sarone did. It's kind of implied that maybe that's something that happened there, or maybe it's something that really happened only because of what happens after this. But, of course, he agrees, you know, that they need to make sure they cut the rope free, and Kale is the one that's going to volunteer to do everything. Man. Well, looks like I'm going to have to cut us loose. It's maybe better I do it. This river can kill you in a thousand ways. I can handle it. Besides, the only thing I'm really afraid of is a kandaroo or cue. Can do what? Kandaroo or cue. It's a tiny little catfish. It swims up into your urethra. Finds a nice warm spot. Spreads its thorny little spines. Fuses to budge. Ouch. Got to cut it out. That's it, man. I'm getting the hell back to L.A. Yeah, because that's exactly where you're going to be able to go back to, Cube. Especially right fucking now. 
You're in the middle of a fucking Amazon. Like, look, there's nothing but water. How exactly are you going to get back to L.A.? I get it. It's meant for a little chuckle and a giggle from the audience. Everybody's going to laugh this line. Oh, <laughs> hey, look, hard rapper black man doesn't want to be back in the fucking jungle anymore because he heard about a fish that's going to have to have your dick cut off and able to get it out. Uh, where, yeah, I'd probably want to get out of there too, not jumping in the fucking water. But he wants to get back to L.A., back to human civilization. Isn't that fucking funny? But you're in the middle of nowhere on a fucking boat, and there's only one way to get around, and it's on the fucking boat that you're on. Yeah, there's a small boat. Yeah, he could jump onto the small boat and just fucking get away. But no, he doesn't choose to do so. Now, of course... There is the argument between Sarone and Kale here where Kale's like, well, I'm the one that does the diving. And he's like, well, I can help you. Fuck, you know what? If it was up to me, I'd let him get into the fucking water and just do what he needs to do. Not worry about it. But I guess maybe if you're worried about Sarone being like a fucking asshole and trying to cut everything out and maybe fuck up your engine to go the way that you want to go. Yeah, maybe I would do it myself. But you know what? In most situations, I'd be like, fuck it. Go ahead. You go down there and fucking do it. So Kale then decides to jump down into the water and goes over to where the propellers are and starts to cut the rope free. While he's doing that, all of a sudden he starts grabbing his throat and he starts choking while he has the air on on while he's in the water. He floats up to the top and everybody sees him from the distance and they manage to go over there and actually get him out and they decide, well, there's a quick... uh, I don't know what exactly it's called. It's not a tracheotomy. It has some other name for it. But basically where they take the knife, they stab it in your throat to create an airway, and then they stick the straw in your throat so that way that you have now a clear airway to continue breathing. And he begins breathing on his own, and they find the uh, wasp that somehow got into his air tank is now in the middle of his throat. He seems okay. We should go now. Man, that radio don't work. We have no communication. Hey, I can't fix, okay? I guess that now. No, 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 no. Moitane bleen, uh, fog. We don't get this man to a hospital. So, I might as well uh, throw him in the river. What? Terry, we got lights. Good. Mateo, we're just gonna double back. Finding the current. Close to this. Cut back to this tree, Terry. Save us 50 miles. This is the route you suggested we take yesterday. Yesterday for a different reason. Now our concern is getting Professor Kale to a hospital as fast as possible. Right. I don't know what you're doing. So I don't know about this dude. What choice do I have? Now, what choice do I have? Well, you have the choice of just not going back and going forward the way that you are. Like, go ahead and just turn around. Why don't you do that? Or, you know what the choice that you have, too? Is you have a little side boat. Maybe you get on the little side boat and you take the side boat back the way that you came and let them go. Or, you know what you do, too? You say, okay, look, we're totally sorry we got this side boat. Why don't you take the side boat and you can continue on your journey to do whatever you need to do and we're just going to turn this thing around and we're going to go back and we're totally done with it. Especially if you do not 
trust this guy anymore. Like, you don't know what's going on. All of a sudden, this all this stuff has happened. It all seems fucking convenient. But you decide, well, what choice do I have? The choice that you have is to not do what you're going to currently do, which you do fucking anyway. And of course, as they continue to travel along down the stream, they run into another part where... You know, our character here, Mr. Cerrone, has never seen this barricade that's all of a sudden shown up in the middle of the river. Now, I apologize for this point because I believe there is some really wet and juicy, like, fruit eating from Voight um, that sounds absolutely disgusting. But I wanted to play the entire clip along with that juicy fucking noise. What the hell is this? Hey, Terry, come here. This is the river you know. No. This is new. But no cause for panic. I'm not panicking, I'm just... Looking at this wall, that's blocking our way down this river that you know. Well, let's just uh, see what we can do. Hey, is that real dynamite? It's always good to be prepared. Prepare for what? Well, you gotta be kidding me. That thing must be there for a reason. Yeah, to give us out. I'm talking about upsetting the ecological balance of this river. Well, look, I can blow in 10 minutes. Sorry if... Uh... You're feeling sensitive, we could turn around and lose two days. It's up to you. Terry? Oh, for God's sake, blow the bloody thing. Just give me ten minutes, people. Ten minutes. I'm gonna need some help. Gary? Get a little boat. Yeah, Gary. Get on the little boat. Like, see, they still fucking has it, so they go over on the little boat, and they plant a bunch of dynamite, and that's where you get that one little scene where Owen Wilson's in the water, and he's like, I felt something down there. He's like, there is something down there. Like, it's like, I know. Uh, it's just kind of one of those things, like, there's something that's going on, and they need to go this way, and he knows exactly what this wall is for, but he doesn't want to really tell anybody what it is, and he just magically has dynamite with him. Like... You would have known that he carried those things and all these extensive fucking poacher tools when you brought him on board. You'd be like, hey, this bag is awfully, like, heavy. What the fuck you got in this thing? Oh, I don't know. I just got a bunch of little tools in there or something. And then you maybe would sift through it or something on your off time and find out the guy's got fucking dynamite. And you've been carrying dynamite right next to your fucking fuel source the entire time that you've been on this fucking trip. So, what do they do? They go ahead and plant the dynamite on the wall, they get away from it, and they blow up the wall, and then all of a sudden it starts raining and snakes. Hallelujah, it's raining and snakes. Oh, yeah. Oh, so yeah, it starts raining snakes everywhere. And they're falling everywhere, and everybody's all like, oh my god, it's fucking raining snakes. Uh, you know, it could be raining blood. No, we're not going to start that again. But it's raining fucking snakes everywhere, and they're like, how the hell are we going to get these off? And then... You know, Mateo has like a power washer. 
and he starts power washing the snakes off. It also causes some of the fuel to drop inside of the the river here, and they are they manage to save one barrel of fuel, which is enough fuel to get them back to wherever they need to go. It also it's just one of the dumbest things that happen is one of the snakes bites on Winston English asshole's finger. And he's like, oh my god, oh my god, get it off, get it off. Oh, you've got to get it off. And, like, he's holding it and he's just staring at it. And it's a little fucking baby snake. And fucking Serrano just comes over and pulls it off, rips it off. And he could have done the same fucking thing. Instead, he's just like, oh, I can't believe this. I cannot get this. Why does he fucking turning Indian here? But I cannot get this fucking snake off my hand. Like, what the fuck is going on with you? Like, it's easy. It's on there. You pull it. Especially he comes on there. He sees it. He pulls it off. And boom. You ain't got no fucking snake on your finger anymore. Like, it's so fucking ridiculous that this is what's happening at this point in the film. Like, it's rain snakes, it's been bad accents, and you can't get the one fucking snake off of your finger that is obviously easy to take off your hand? No. Because you're a fucking idiot, that's why. So they continue down the river even further, and that's where we get to the scene that we saw in the beginning of the movie, and in the distance, we see that Serrano sees the shack that Danny Trejo killed himself in. Mateo! Mateo! Stop the boat! Stop it! Why are we stopping now? Could be fuel. You know that boat? There's lots of boats like that. I get the distinct impression there's nobody at home. Mateo, come with me. Hold up. You get this on film. You don't need sound, do you? No, I'm not gonna do Okay, so why do you need to get it on film as they go over to the, like the abandoned house like that's the place that you decide you know what i need some extra shots when i go over there and terry isn't even like you know what maybe let those two go by themselves but i have a feeling it's the reason that he wants to go is he wants to make sure that everything is kosher and he wants to use that as like a cover that makes the most sense but they don't really kind of allude to that and it really isn't acknowledged by anybody else being like hey maybe that's the reason that he's doing what he wants to do so they continue on over into the house and they go start searching through everything. You see at one point that Serrano, he finds a newspaper clipping where it's Mateo, Serrano, and Danny Trejo. All three of them have their picture together and it talks about them being hunters of different animals in the jungle, including snakes and whatnot. He rips it down off the wall and takes it as his own because, of course, we knew already that these three had to be connected in some way. Well, we didn't really know the poacher in the beginning was connected to them, but it's obvious that fucking Mateo and fucking Serrano are connected to each other at the same time, right? Because of the way that they've looked at each other, like, ever since the first time you saw them, it's just like, yeah, these guys fell for the shit that I was just lost out here when actually you knew exactly where I was going to be and we were going to hijack this expedition anyway. So they go looking through everything and eventually they find this like giant metal like chest that's got some stuff in it and it must be the stuff that 
Serrano basically has lost and it's going to help him catch the goddamn Anaconda. Like, again, when you look in there, you're just kind of like, huh, that's a lot of weird equipment. And, you know, he asks Cube to go ahead and help him and bring it back to the boat. And Cube thinks nothing of it. He's just like, okay, I'll just put my fucking camera in there. And there's all this weird stuff that you got in there. But, hey, I'm not going to make sure that everything is uh, kosher here and that maybe we shouldn't be bringing this stuff back. But you said that we could get fuel here. And isn't there any fuel that we could bring back? And it's very weird that instead we're bringing back all these fucking tools. But you know what? I'm going to help you bring it back anyway because we should be bringing this stuff. So let's go ahead and go. Like, like, what the fuck, man? Come on. I, how stupid do you have to be to not even fucking question what you are bringing back? You don't do anything else. All you do is you just fucking jump when he's saying jump and carry the shit where you're going for it. So they bring that stuff back. Mateo, he's going to start coming back. He does get into the room where the anaconda has attacked through. He gets surprised, and at one point he actually falls backward into the water for some weird fucking reason, he like he loses his balance and he goes in there and like nothing causes it. Like the anaconda doesn't come up to the part that he's at and like fucking start shaking a little bit like, oh, you're going to fall, you're going to fall and I'm going to get fucking time to eat. But he does manage to wrap himself around him and kill him and squeeze him and drag him into the water. And honestly, the wraparound, maybe at the time this looked really good and it's very fast paced when it happened. But it looks terrible. But the animatronics of the stake aren't that bad. But this is the first time that we actually get a, a decent look at the snake. Um, especially when it comes out and it grabs. Because when it grabbed the panther earlier, we really didn't get much from it. We saw a little bit, but it was really dark. Here we actually get a decent look at the way the snake looks wrapped around this guy. But everybody, it's like it's fucking Wonder Woman. And they're just spinning around and becoming Wonder Woman at this time when the snake grabs. Like, they're moving in slow motion to match up of the speed of the snake that's now wrapping around him. But the speed of the snake is not even that fast. Like, or it seems a lot faster than it is. It's just really weird. Like, it doesn't cohesively make sense. It, it literally, like... That's the only thing you think about. It literally is the Wonder Woman spin as the snake comes around them. And they're all meant to, like, look in a certain way. Or, like, somebody is doing really bad Photoshop and they're, like, spinning it around slowly. Because it feels like the snake is wrapping around him a lot faster than the guy is actually spinning and being consumed by the snake. So... Mateo is our very first victim of the anaconda. He's dragged into the river, and they go back over to the boat, and they, they're like, oh my god, where's Mateo? And Cube decides, oh, I'll go out and find him. He goes, he finds a flashlight, but he doesn't find anything else out there. And when he gets back to the boat, that's when we discover about what the anacondas, or what actually, I should say, Serrano is actually doing out here in the jungle. I didn't see him. I'm very reassuring. Okay. Yeah. This is it. This is all you found? Yeah. What the hell is this? Anaconda skin. Is snakes up there this big? This skin is three or four years old. Whatever shed it has grown since then. But something like this has made a meal of our dear captain. What? Snakes don't eat people. Oh, they don't? 
Anacondas are a perfect killing machine. They have heat sensors. A warm body like Mateo's in the water. Wasn't hard to find. Mm -hmm. They strike, wrap around you, hold you tighter than your true love, and you get the privilege of hearing your bones break before the power of the embrace causes your veins to explode. Now, Mateo's probably just lost. Oh, wake up! Imagine something this big captured alive. That's worth a lot of money, Gary. Jesus. Please, people. Don't make me out of monster. I didn't eat the Captain Mateo. Come on, everybody. We are not sure that Mateo is dead. So we're just gonna wait here till the morning. Are you insane? Where do you think he went? A walk in the woods? Now listen, we've got to get the hell out of here. Get a grip, Westrip. I've got a grip. We're not leaving. If it was you out there, you'd want us to stay too. <sighs> listen, if it was me out there, I'd be dead. Did you see? Just go into your cabin and lock the door. Like a bad boy. All right, all right. Where are my shoes? Where are my shoes? We're gonna aim some lights at the boat. That's a good idea. Lights are a good idea. And this is when I realize I've been calling him Winston when I should be calling him Westridge. And Terry is the only one that actually has a very good, like, head on her shoulders for this film. Like, when you think about it and everything that's going on, how do we know that Mateo has actually been eaten? The only person that's like, yeah, he's totally been eaten, he is fucking Serrano. He's the only one that knows that this has happened, right? That the fucking anaconda is out there. Like, he just randomly throws the fucking snakeskin in front of them, too. He's like, here, maybe if I prove to them that these things are out here and this is a giant piece of fucking snakeskin, that these guys would be like, huh, well, maybe this thing actually did eat him. But I also like at the same time where he's, I, I really do like the line, like, don't make me out to be, well, he says, actually, don't make me a monster. I didn't eat my tail. Like, don't, don't make me a monster. Like, he's fucking somehow Italian now at the same time. Don't make me a monster. Or I'm not, whatever exactly it is. But he's just like, you know, I didn't eat him. The fucking snake did. But how do you know the snake even did it? Like, did you have some type of, like, sixth sense? What if he fell into the water and, he, like, he gets stung in the neck by one of those wasp things. And now he's fucking just choking to death out there. Or whatever is going on. You know exactly that the snake is what got him. Is it because this is the snake's home? And that's exactly why you know? And now all of a sudden you're like, man, this is the way it is. Here you go. I'm trying to impress you guys by showing this giant fucking anaconda skin. You guys like that shit? Well, guess what? It's fucking out there. Let's go fucking get it. So they decide to wait into the night. And at one point, Gary does approach, uh, you know, Serrano over here and you know is like look about the snake thing and so they somehow start hatching a plot together or plan together we wake up the next morning and Mateo still hasn't come back and of course now this is the point where Serrano he's going to start taking over the whole expedition what the fuck are you doing you can't catch anacondas without bait oh my god Westridge, let's go. No, Westridge, stop. Not on my boat. Good boy, you speak for everybody? Gary, 
You speak for everybody? Huh? Gary? Well, I mean, the, you know, the way I figure, with Kale messed up, I mean, the movie's off. Why not salvage something? You know, let's film Sarone capturing a big snake. Have you lost your mind? Have I lost my mind? No, I haven't lost my mind. If anything, I'm completely lucid right now. I think it's you guys who need to open up your eyes. Yo, hold up. How we go from taking Kale to the hospital to catching a goddamn snake? Do you know where you are? You're in the middle of the jungle. Okay, all you guys do is you question and you criticize. But just remember, you don't know shit about the shit we're in out here. And neither do I, okay? But I guarantee you I know who does. This guy. Paul has been here. And if we help him catch this snake, then he will help us get out of here alive. And that, amigos, is not insanity. That is common freaking sense. Come on, Gary. This, this isn't you. Honey, what did he do Stop. to you? Okay, stop. Think about how much money this would be worth. Imagine capturing something like this on film for the first time ever. Let's be honest, what else are we supposed to do? I know what I'm gonna do. I'm about to throw both of y'all son of a bitches in the river myself. I don't think so. I didn't want this to happen, people. Let's go, Westridge. Okay. Gary? Occupy yourselves. Play some cars. So now Gary has magically switched sides so fucking fast. Like, it didn't take very much for him to go off. And yes, everybody knows exactly where they are. They're in the jungle, baby. Okay, Gary? Like, you didn't have to point that out to everybody. And yes, you know, <laughs> they don't know shit about shit. Like, they're out there. They just want to take Kale where it is. Again, it's Terry and now fucking Cube that actually have the... And his name is Danny, I get it. Uh, but <laughs> they have the strongest, like, fucking wherewithal of everybody on the crew. They're just like, look, why haven't we done this? Look, when did we go from all of a sudden hunting snakes to making sure this guy gets back alive? We've already had one dead person, and now you want to go after the snake because you're like, hey, you know what? Wow, it makes sense, guys. It makes sense that we could just make some money from this. Like, come on, let's do it. Like, we could just film him catching the snake and actually get some stuff. Again, you know what? Not a bad plan. Honestly, it's kind of a good idea if that's all you're going to do. But you're getting involved in catching this guy. And if it ain't one of the people on your crew, why are you going to try to do it again? Instead, you're going to go back here and you're going to be like, Oh, well, let's just go off and catch yourself a big fucking snake and, and make money. But, oh, don't worry if something happens to anybody else on this fucking expedition. Because it's obvious who's going to fucking die next after all. Like, it's so ridiculous that he's so easily just like... Okay, well, you know what? Maybe that is the best plan. Other than, hey, we're in the middle of nowhere. Somebody fucking died from this giant snake. And I, do I really want to try to go after it? No, I'll make sure I go ahead and help him shoot down a fucking monkey and watch over everybody. And then he doesn't even really do anything when fucking Sarone takes the gun and shoots that fucking cube and knocks shit in, up into the air. And, and he's just like, yeah, this is the way it's going to be. It's just, wow. It's, this is why we're gonna go. Like, it's so fucking just dumb that he was able to be swayed like that. I get Westridge, because he's a fucking pussy, and he's just gonna go upstairs and do whatever it is, because he doesn't want to get fucking shot. And here, Cube is gonna be fucking hard, try to kill him. But you know what? 
you can't fight knives, you can't bring a knife to a gunfight. So they just go ahead and give in, and we go into the night as they're going down the river. We see that Sarone is dragging the monkey, the dead monkey, in the water, and he says that the snakes can detect when there's something that's warm and alive in the river, yet he's going to use a, a dead fucking monkey to attract the snake. If it's going to be cold and everything, it's not warm enough to really attract the snake, is it? But you know what? This is the way that they're going to do it. And I guess monkey blood uh, is a delicacy in some places, but it's going to attract the, the snake down here in the Amazon. So... He has everybody up on top. He has, well, on top, on deck, on the very top of it, you've got Gary with the light, and he's shining the light over the water. And then he magically is able to shine two lights because Westridge comes down to the bottom to help, you know, uh, Sarone here try to catch the anaconda when all of a sudden it does spring out of the water and he does try to reel it in. And, you know, there's one point where Cube, he tries to go and stab John Voight so he can throw him in the water, and he doesn't. He actually gets knocked down by the snake's tail and loses his knife into the water. We see that the snake is writhing around like crazy, knocks over John Voight to the point that he loses him, to the point that Owen Wilson gets knocked into the water. As Along with Denise, they're able to get Denise on the deck, but of course, you know, Gary, he gets snatched up wow, I got eaten by a snake, and he goes down into the ocean, and you get a, a clip, and it, it looks terrible, but I know it's supposed to be like, oh my god, you gotta be scared of this, because the anaconda swims by, and you see that Gary is inside of his stomach, and you see his face there, and he looks like he's been suffocated inside of the snake, and it's just... It's like an interesting action scene. It's actually kind of fun to watch. And there's a lot of crap going on. But, like, that kind of ruins it. And the fact that there are two people up on top of the thing with both lights and they're moving around. But only person that's actually up there is Gary. So, how are they moving? Like, how is he moving both lights perfectly? And then, you know, he's perfectly following the snake in the water along with the CG. Like, he's so good at controlling two lights at the same time when he's only at one and they both are perfectly aimed on the cgi snake that is like going crazy inside of the water and then the, the fact that the snake tail comes through and manages to knock over everybody is a really ridiculous coincidence but hey it's what happens so now that gary's gone and denise is now in shock you know there's a plan that comes up to try to take back the boat from sarone and of course you know, but before this happened, we actually get a relatively funny scene where Sarone still is showing that he's the one that's in charge of the entire ship. Because, of course, he has the gun. May the souls of the faithful depart through the mercy of God. Rest in peace. Amen. None depart with the spirit of God. Westridge! How dare you! It was you who brought that snake. You brought the devil. There's a devil inside everyone. It's off her. Horrible. Westridge! Take my gear up to the pilot house. Not your bloody poodle. What are you saying? How dare you presume to order me about? Presume? 
Why you like I presume to throw you in the river? You like that presume? Huh? Take it upstairs. Thank you. Everyone else, don't move. I just see the the comebacks from him. It's so laughable just because of the way they delivers it. But I like that he's just like, don't presume that I'm your poodle. And he's like, presume. Oh, sorry, presume, presume. Uh, that's my own Wilson. <laughs> what you mean, presume? Uh, but he like just smacks him around, and then he's like, okay, yeah, I'll do what you want me to do because I'm the little bitch. Of the whole group. And then he looks at Ice Cube. And Ice Cube just gives him that fucking hard stare. And he's just like. Yeah you guys just stay down here. And then he goes upstairs. Like he doesn't try to smack fucking Ice Cube around. He just makes sure that the whiny little fucking British guy. He's the one that he can control. And he can actually you know overpower in this situation. So in a little bit. They, you know he's upstairs. And all of a sudden he's in his room. Planning on how he's going to catch that anaconda. That he's looking at. And then there is a knock at the door. And in comes Terry. You want something? I just want to talk to you. I was thinking about the myth. I don't know if you know, but this, this film was supposed to be my big break. It's turned out to be a big disaster. Anyway, I was just thinking that maybe I could film you capturing the snake and then it wouldn't have all been for nothing. I don't know. It could be dangerous. Well, I know. You need protection? Yeah. Been a long time. Since I had a woman. Shame to say, Rob. Show it. Come on, let's just tie him up. Hey. So yeah, he does fall for the whole situation because there was both a uh, a twist and a twist to that whole plan that they had, where they knew that he wouldn't fall for the fact that Cube was going to try to come in and attack him, but then Westridge came from behind and then smacked him in the head, and he should have just fucking like pounded him once again to make sure that he was out and then she's just being a fucking stupid idiot here at this point because instead of just throwing him into the river she just was like no let's make sure that we just tie him up and keep him there no toss his ass in the fucking river don't fucking leave him there like why keep him on the 
fucking deck of your ship because you know that if something happens, he's just going to turn against everybody. We've all seen every single fucking kind of horror movie that there is. And whenever there's a bad guy that's there, that especially in like a Moby Dick type of situation, if you let him go, he's just going to turn on you guys and fucking kill off a bunch of the people that work for you or are working with you trying to survive. You should all know this shit by now, but of course she's just like, no, I don't want to kill anybody else. Let's just go ahead and fucking you know move on like they literally would have been hours away from him and maybe he would have been eaten by the anaconda and therefore everybody would have survived you would have gotten everything that you needed to and the movie would have been fucking over but nope we got to make sure that he lives so we fade over to the next day and we see that terry is now confronting sereno sereno or serone i don't want to keep calling him serrano but when his name is actually serone but well fuck it it's right too late to replace all of that but <laughs> so she confronts him and she realized that this whole situation has just been has just been one big setup. This was all one big setup, huh? Mateo, you stranded. The shipwreck boat. Your route to the hospital. How could you forget about the wasp? What you do is not so hard. I can trap a snake too. As smart as you are, you can survive without me. So again, he has yet another one of the great comebacks in the film. He's like, smart as you are, you can't survive without me. I'm sorry, I can't do the accent anymore. It's killing me <laughs> because I keep wavering in between. Okay, you can't survive without me. Okay, but anyway, so it's just kind of ridiculous that she's like realizing now when she probably and probably cube realized like 30 minutes ago that there wasn't something quite right and that maybe they shouldn't trust this guy and now they're like oh yeah we figured it out it's just one big set bitch you've known about this for a while okay it's been one big setup since when you saw the fucking wall and you're like oh this is the river you know this is the river you know it's so fucking ridiculous that it like took this long to get to this point so he's tied up and they're continuing down the river and that's where restridge is teaching cube how to drive the boat it's an interesting little funny scene but not really worth playing a clip for you but it does cause them to crash into some land and it's at the point where they can't get themselves out so of course they've come up with an, a way to get on like to pull out the boat but it requires them to one leave Sarone on the boat by himself with Denise and two for them all three of them to jump in the water and get the boat unstuck. We got to winch ourselves loose. Boy, what are you doing? That means we have to get in the water. Ain't got much choice. Figure me and you go over here, wrap a rope around that tree. You wrap a rope around that tree, pull it tight. If not, we stuck here forever. Gotta make it quick. In and out. God, I hope I've done my bit. That's our rope right there. Just enough to go around the tree, right? Yeah. We need to take this, get it around that truck right there. Make sure it's secure. Roger. Hey, just last time I was in water like this, I was up all night picking leeches off my screws. Okay, you know what? 
We really didn't need to know about that, Westridge. Do we really need to know about your scrotum leeches, or were you in Stand By Me? You do look awfully familiar. No, no, it's nothing like that. So they all jump in the water. They leave, of course, Sarone on the deck with Denise. And, of course, she is now in the... Ugh. You, you killed... She's like Inigo Mantoya right now. You killed my boyfriend. Prepare to die. And so she goes over to Sarone, and she basically is about to go ahead and kill him, take the knife and stab him. And he looks at her, he's all... And he's been calling her Baby Bird throughout the whole fucking movie. And so he looks at her and he's just like, You know, you shouldn't look people on the ice when you kill them. Because I know. I know that pain. It lived with you forever. I know that pain. And so he, she puts her head down and she's going to kill. And then he fucking leaps up so goddamn high. Like he's fucking magical that he can jump. That John Voight in this film has to be in his, like, late 50s, right? Maybe he's in his early 50s. I don't know. But he's definitely up there. But the fact that from a prone state, sitting down, he's able to push his feet, like, in a way so that he can jump up six fucking feet or five feet, however tall this girl is, and then wrap his legs around her head and choke her out with his power thighs, like completely, not just knock her ass out, but suffocate and fucking kill her with his legs. It's fucking amazing that he's able to do that. But it's like he basically had like an air canister, like, like shoot him up in the air. And that he's not tied enough, like, tied enough to the goddamn pole so that he can't fucking move or else he has, like, the biggest fucking rug burn that, like, life, or not rug burn, but rope burn that life has ever fucking seen because he shoots up hella high, too. Like, there's a spring underneath him and he got shoved up in the air, but he manages to kill her and grab the knife. Meanwhile, back in the water, we see that, you know, Cube and Terry over here, they've managed to tie the rope as well as Westridge. But all of a sudden, who decides to show up but the Anaconda and starts going after them and attacking them? Westridge is able to, like, call out to the Anaconda and get him away from Terry and Cube and actually distract him enough so they can get to the boat. But when he tries to run away, he jumps up. And he tries to jump off a cliff, and then the snake grabs him, and probably one of the most satisfying, like, kills in it. Meanwhile, on the boat, uh, Sarone has gotten loose, and he's, while she's trying to shoot the snake and trying to kill it, uh, he tries to stop her, and they're not able to. And meanwhile, over their back with Westridge and the snake, the snake is busy killing Westridge, but it's too much weight for the branch that they're on, and so the whole tree falls on top of the boat and knocks everybody everywhere. Uh, Voight goes into the water, uh, Cube also goes into the water, and Terry is there, and poor Westridge has been killed by the anaconda. Now, the anaconda starts getting... Uh, Cube starts wrapping around him, starts choking him out, but of course she's able to get the gun and she's able to kill the snake, therefore saving Cube's life. There's also, they find out that Denise is dead because she pops up out of the water before Cube can actually get in the boat right before the anaconda grabs him, but they kill the anaconda, they leave Voight off in the water, and they carry on. They end up getting to a spot that they see 
that has a, it's like a factory type of setting so they think that there's probably fuel in there since there's a dock they go inside and when they get in there they get knocked out by Voight after they've been knocked out by Voight he wakes them up by throwing monkey blood on them basically he starts to carry them um and that's gonna draw out the anaconda to come over and actually kill them this is when we learn of the second anaconda the first one was like a green and yellow type of anaconda at least with the markings on its head this one happens to be like a red anaconda that now is coming out there and starts to slowly circle around them and start suffocating both terry and cube and while they're getting attacked like that instead of waiting for the snake to start feeding on the two uh Cerrone, he jumps down and he pulls on a rope where the giant like rope net starts to encircle all three of them and the anaconda starts freaking the fuck out and stops choking the two that are there or suffocating them by you know binding around them uh Cerrone is not able to control the net and lets go, and so the anaconda goes after him. He tries to run away, but he's knocked off the top of, like, a ladder onto the ground, and eventually the two of them, they're able to get to, like, a saw blade, cut the tape that's surrounding them and wrapping them together so that way they can break loose, and Cerrone is eventually wrapped around by the snake. He calls out to the snake, telling the snake that, you know, he can't really get him, and then eventually the snake does crush him in probably one of the better scenes of the movie, because you actually see, like, his face, like, bloat up, and I think that effect is actually really good. And again, the animatronic snake looks relatively decent for the time, especially what's wrapped around them and how it's moving, and I'm pretty sure it's relatively heavy, because you can look at fucking, you know, Cerrone here, and in the way that Voight's acting in the scene, it just seems like it's a little bit of a struggle on top of him. And so eventually, you know, he is crushed, he is bloated, and the snake swallows him down, and then the snake turns around and starts chasing after everybody else. Uh... Over here, since uh, Cube has been stabbed in the leg by uh, Cerrone in the last scene when they were fighting on the boat, he has a little bit of a limp, so he's not able to climb everything, and he basically says, don't worry about it, let it chase you, and as the Anaconda chafes up the, the smokestack, he, like, he's trying to get, uh, like, stab it in the leg with the or not leg but the end of the, the snake with the pickaxe it's busy chasing around um you know terry as well and there's one really gross and weird scene i don't know why they did it but like the snake punches through like a window and then he like projectile vomits sarone's body at terry and it's fucking terrible it just bleh, it's like a cat with a fucking hairball on your fucking pillow and you've just got to fucking eat that thing off your bed but he, so he spitballs fucking Saron at her she freaks out and then you see he's got like half of his face and he's been wrapped around and he falls over dead she climbs up a, a smokestack as she's climbing up the smokestack cube does manage to put the pickaxe in the back and the tail end of the snake and traps it there sets a bunch of the fuel on fire she's able to get out just in time where the snake pushes you know she pushes through the grate and cube is telling her you need to jump you need to jump she's like i can't i can't jump and he's like you got to and then of course when it explodes it forces her off and she falls in the water perfectly fine they get back they try to get back to the boat 
even though they're missing fuel at this point. Oh, and I should mention, too, that the reason, actually, that uh, Sarone ended in the water is because Kale, uh, earlier on, Kale actually woke up for a second and shot him, and that's how he actually flew into the water. So, sorry about that. I totally missed that part. Uh, but, so, Kale is still alive, by the way. The stupid doctor, or whatever his name is. Um, well, his name is Kale. Uh, so... They get back to the boat. Before they can get back to Kale and make sure that everything's okay, the anaconda flies out from the air. You know, it explodes with the explosion too. Completely on fire and lands into the water. Still on fire. Now, I would normally be like, man, why did that happen? How could this be? He went to the water. There's no reason he should be on fire still. Well, I can kind of think that because he was covered in fuel and that the fuel is actually what caused the fire, that could be a reason why. He's like just so soaked. It's like when you throw oil, like it's very viscous in water and it doesn't actually break down. So if you light oil on fire when it's in water, it stays lit, right? The, the water stays lit. And I imagine it's the same thing with a snake. He's just covered in whatever the substance is that they're using for fuel, gas, ethanol, whatever it is, kerosene. And he's just on fire in the water. It it makes a little bit of sense, at least in this thing. But before it can drag, you know, Terry down into the water, Cube comes by, takes that pickaxe that he still has for some reason, and, you know, picks it in the head a couple of times, therefore killing the red anaconda, and they're able to actually all get away just fine. They get onto the boat. She checks on Terry. Uh, oh, sorry. She checks on Kale, Everything is perfectly fine with them. It's a happy ending. The three of them have survived. You know, he's now conscious. He's able to walk around. He still, you know, he recovered from supposedly the deadly poison from the wasp. Like, they've spent so many days on the goddamn water that it doesn't make any sense if it supposedly was poisonous and deadly. Like, he would be pretty much dead already. But he's perfectly fine. He just has a hole in his throat because he couldn't breathe because I guess he was allergic to the wasp being sting or something. So, he's there. And he's, they're all looking out over the water. And everything is serene. And then what do they see in the distance but what they've been chasing all along? And then the film ends. Found another one. Here, let me see that. Shirishama. Sarone was right. <laughs> Danny! Damn. I'll get to camp. You think so? I'm rolling. so that's how the film fucking ends like that is a terrible fucking ending to this film like 
so ridiculous that, oh, we're looking out there. Here's the fucking indigenous tribe that you were looking for. Oh, let's go get the camera. Let's roll some more film. You have nothing to roll. You have nothing else there that you've really done other than some of the stuff that Westridge did. Are you going to document the whole thing about how you found the anacondas and you found these people? Or Like, what is the point of even rolling film at this? Then it's just like, okay, roll camera and then we're going to look out into the, the river. And that's going to be the fucking ending of the film. What the fuck? I mean, I know that Terry and her running away from all the different anacondas. She found an anaconda nest where there was a bunch of baby ones that are out there. They didn't get any fuel to, like, help them on their journey. Do they have enough fuel to last them all the way down to wherever the fuck they need to go? Who knows? Who fucking cares? Nobody else does. It's just the end of the fucking movie. And that's fucking it. So... This film and I have kind of a love-hate relationship because I think that some things, and it's really difficult with the last, like, 20 minutes of the film because it's pretty much action-packed, and honestly, it's entertaining. Those parts are really entertaining. Voight is very entertaining in this film. It's a bad accent, but the character's not that bad when you actually think about it. When you think about what he does, what his methods are, and he's actually, without that stupid fucking accent, he's got the best comebacks in the entire fucking film compared to everybody else. Now, a lot of people are going to be like, well, what's up, you know, the acting between J-Lo and Cube's not very good. Yeah, it isn't, but it's mediocre. Even going back to it, I think when I first saw it, I thought it was terrible. But since I've seen them do films since then, and they've done better roles than what they've actually done in this movie, it's not that bad, honestly. It's kind of the norm, and I guess maybe now I'm just used to their acting style. Because, honestly, Cube has become one of my favorite, like, kind of comedic, like, straight man type of characters. I freaking love him in things like 21 Jump Street, 22 Jump Street... Uh, fist fight. I thought he was fucking fantastic. He does play similar types of roles and doesn't let his hair down very often, but he's very entertaining when he does pop out. Now, he's also done Triple X State of the Union, and I'm not going to hold that against him. It's very fucking terrible, but he's become a much better actor than what you see here, and here is kind of his mediocre role. He's right in the middle. He's not bad cube, and he's not good cube. He's just cube. Same thing with J-Lo. She's just J-Lo. It's not a terrible role for her. It's not a great role for her. Now, Voight, on the other hand, that I can't forgive. He really just, like, he seemed like he might have been having a lot of fun doing the role, but it was pretty terrible, and that accent is fucking atrocious. If I had to pick between the two, I would choose him over Curry, because at least Curry kind of sounds like he does anyway. So, if I actually had to rate the film... Um, and one of the fun thing is, is that when I was looking at things, and IMDb has put these new ratings out in terms of, like, parental ratings and tell you what's in the film, and they put the violence in this film, at, like, really high, and I put this, the gore in this is a 2 out of 5. It's not really anything. I mean, the snake, you see an eyeball, the snake pops an eyeball out of a tiger, um, you know, the tracheotomy or whatever, the crit criticotomy or whatever it's called, when he stabs the thing into his necks, it's not that bad. People getting eaten. The worst thing is fucking the furball John Voight flying out of the snake's mouth. That is literally the worst and grossest thing in the entire film. Uh, I mean, they're getting wrapped up by snakes. It's fucking ridiculous. Especially, you know, this film, it didn't receive a rating that 
I feel like it needed. I mean, it's, it's more or less a, you know, PG-13 type of movie, which is the rating it got. And honestly, it could have been a PG movie if it wasn't for a couple of just, like, terrible scenes. I guess some of the more gorier things. The fact that they threw blood on them or something, I don't know. But this is during that 90s time where it's just, like, uh, they're going for these weird, like, creature type of flicks, and they're looking at these actors that aren't normal, and there's a lot of hip-hop actors that are breaking into horror films and kind of action-adventure type of films during this time. Not saying that it's bad, but it seemed to be very popular during that time. So, it's kind of an e- weird situation when it comes to that. So, I gave the gore a 2 out of 5, because when the snake dies, it's a little gory for both of them when they get shot in the face and when it gets pickaxed. And then, like I said, the John Voight thing. Uh, The Crap Factor, it's a 4 out of 5, primarily because of Voight. Um, You know, some other people, too. Owen Wilson's character is terrible. I hate the Josh Homme-looking motherfucker. Like, he's terrible. I hate the way that character's written. Some of the dialogue is really, really bad. And some of the CG just does not hold up. It may have won awards back in the day from a couple of people. They must have been fucking high as shit. Because it just does not. But the animatronics and the puppets hold pretty well. Now, the fun factor, I'm going to give a 3 out of 5. I think it's still fun. I think it's laughable when you listen to his voice, but I still think that the character's not that bad when you when you watch Cerrone do what he does. I think that the most out-of-place person, honestly, is J-Lo as Terry. She just feels like she's lost the entire time. Denise is pretty bad, too, but she's got a little bit more personality. But this isn't a shouldn't have been a starring and driving vehicle for J-Lo. Like, this shouldn't be, like, where she's the main heroine of the movie. And I think that's why you've got Ice Cube to kind of mellow her out. And why you have two final girls instead of just one in this film. Technically, you have three. But he was knocked out the entire time, so he doesn't fucking count. Especially when he gets up, what's been going on? Well, there's all this shit. Like, everybody's fucking dead. And he's not even fucking sad that everybody's fucking dead. Like, he doesn't even worry about it. He just wakes up and he says, oh, I see my side piece. That makes me so happy. Fuck everybody else they're dead so uh yeah so that gives it a three out of five so overall i'm gonna give this three pop panther eyeballs out of five i think that if you really enjoy this movie nothing i say is really gonna make your enjoyment of this movie any worse if you've never seen this movie before i think it's worth a watch you could go through this the action sequences like i said they're fun to watch and they're hard to really go through and describe and they take up a good portion of the movie hence why there's not so many clips and hence why this is not a three-hour fucking podcast on anaconda so i think it's worth a watch i think that if you've never seen it before you should go out there and check it out uh let alone or just watch clips if you have to watch clips of some of the scenes especially if you can see the scene at night where the anaconda first attacks it's very entertaining and then if you see the scene uh, where the anaconda is chasing J-Load around, that's a pretty good scene as well. And even the one where they're chasing the guy and he catches the guy, that's probably the best death in the entire film, is where the guy would rest for tries to jump off the cliff into the water, and instead he's grabbed in midair by Ana- the anaconda and rolled up. It's the best CGI, and it's probably the best death scene out of the entire movie. So with that being said, we're going to continue on our animal trek, and we've got two more podcasts that I want to do on animals. And sadly, I am not going to be doing a specific movie that somebody suggested to me because I want to try to keep it all different animals, and maybe later I'll come back to that. But this would be the second half of that movie. So um, the movie that was suggested to me to possibly be watched because I was doing Anaconda 
was a film that was called Anaconda versus Lake Placid. And I'm not going to do that one. I'm sorry. But I am going to do what they're fighting against. It has existed since prehistoric times. It was worshipped by primitive cultures. It can kill a man with one crushing bite. We heard a man was bit in half. Any recent bear attacks? Bears don't attack people underwater. Probably a fever then. What was that? Whatever's out there, who shot with this, he's dead. Oh no. Sheriff, how many deputies you got? You came here to help you find it. We can't let him kill it. Experience a few parts mystery. Do you have any theories why he's here? Honestly, I don't know. And a few parts... <laughs> missing. It's a human toe. Is this the man who was killed? He seemed taller. Oh, my God. Bill Pullman. Shoot him! No! How much of a wacko is this guy? Bridget Fonda. Mother... Oliver Platt. Maybe swim back up! Maybe not. I just have this feeling everything's totally safe. This summer, the Earth's oldest creature has just found a new home. Lake Placid. That's right, I'll be looking at the Betty White-driven vehicle of Lake Placid. Well, really, it's Bridget Fonda and Oliver Platt and uh, Bill Pullman. But, <laughs> of course, we all know that Betty White is in it as well. So, um, yeah, that movie is available on Vudu and Crackle for free. You could actually watch it on those platforms. If you haven't seen it before, I would definitely suggest for that one you check it out. Um, and it's something that I've wanted to talk about for a while, and with Crawl coming up, I think this is a good movie to look at, and to kind of see where some of the big monster craze comes from. And it's weird, we're going from 97 to 99 directly into this, um, and Congo was even in, with it, in this area, so we're seeing all these, like, 90s type of, uh, monster, like, animal flicks. Uh, which are very fun flicks in their like respects. This is a movie I did see in the theater, um, and that was in 99. I remember being dragged to this one, and uh, we'll talk about it more when we get onto the podcast next time. But definitely make sure that you do go out and you do see Lake Placid before we do it. Uh, with that being said, uh, podcast shoutouts for this week. I want to shout out uh, the Paranormal Passivity podcast. Uh, if you guys haven't checked it out before, if you've uh, not listened to him, he was on a couple episodes. He was on the Aliens vs. Predator episode, as well as the Constantine episode that happened last Halloween. Um, he also does usually the car reviews with me on our YouTube channel, on my YouTube channel, I should say. And uh, he's doing, he did one on Annabelle recently. We actually went and saw Annabelle uh, Comes Home last night. Uh, before this podcast was recorded, and there will be a video review of that that you can watch on the YouTube channel. 
but he did one on that for his podcast, which was very interesting. And because we watched that, there's one that I'd like to see him do. He does a really good, like, when he does the story stuff. And he has people on and different paranormal stories and stuff. So you should make sure if you don't check it out. And if you haven't checked it out, you go over there and you definitely check out Paranormal Pat and the Paranormal Pativity podcast. And with that being said, um, make sure that you do check out everything the podcast is on on Twitter at T underscore T underscore podcast. Make sure that you go to YouTube, Terrible Terror Podcast, uh, <laughs> uh, whatever the rate review on things, iTunes, Spreaker, Blueberry, all those fun things, as well as Instagram and, of course, uh, the Facebook page where you can take the poll. So we'll see you next time with Lake Placid. Take care, guys.